Houlihan. Into the penalty area. But Shane Long was definitely onside. Shane Long has done it! A good night for Ireland by just returning into a great night for Ireland! Kinsler, Quinn heads up. Oh, surely this time for Keane! And Ireland do it! I've done! 1 0! And Ray has to stop the breakthrough! A little cross in there, and it's cut through here! Hello and welcome to Action Replay's Extra Time Podcast. I'm here in the studio with Enda and Cahill. Hope all is going well for you today, boys. Um, we're going to start with the greatest team in the history of the world. That's Dundalk. Uh, they've won the league and they've immediately been getting some criticism, mainly off uh, the Sligo Rovers manager, as they seem to have downed the tools. So, as you heard, they, <laughs> they recorded their third successive League of Ireland title on Sunday after beating Bohemians 2-1. Then they went to fast forward to Tuesday and they go to Pats and they lose 5-2. Lads, what do you make of this? Do you, do you think Stephen Kenny's within his rights to start relaxing the squad a bit? Of course he is. I mean, what other what other league in the world do you get the the luxury of being able to rest your players before the Euro- European games like this? I mean, they can just concentrate on what matters now. They've already won the league. It'd be different if, if it was an English football situation where you're fighting for top four and uh, you secure top four and then you just start throwing it away uh, when you still have FA Cup matches and English League Cup matches. In Ireland, you don't have that. You have They're in the cup final. They've won the league and they're still in mm-hmm. Europe. They they only had they only have two games left. One was against Pats, next one's against Galway tomorrow. And he's within his... Uh, of course he's within his rights to rest the squad. I mean, it would be, it'd be ludicrous if he didn't rest the squad. So, um, Kyle, I'm going to ask you this one, but if you were, if you were the Sligo Rovers manager, and you're after seeing this result come true, you're competing with Pats for fifth place. How do you feel about Pats' opponents making nine changes before the game? Well, obviously, if I was the Sligo Rovers manager, I would be absolutely <laughs> bullying. But I, I agree with what was said there. You know that um, the Dundalk manager is well within his right to rest his players because obviously he he's going to relish the opportunity. He's He's brought us an Irish side to the Europa League group stages. That's huge. Mm. It's absolutely massive. He's going yeah. away to Zenit St. Petersburg in his next game. You know, he can't be... They're going to be playing in minus 20 degrees next week. Minus 20 degrees. Awful pitch. The whole job, like, it's... And a cup final three days later. Yeah. This yeah. is it. And, the, and there's Cork with nothing to play for either. They're finishing second mm. in the league. That's it. Done with. Um, so they, they'll want to chase that cup as well. They'll fancy their chances seeing as Dundalk have the Europa League. Yeah. Do you think it's fair that David Roberts, the Sligo manager, has pointed the finger towards Dundalk making the nine changes? Or do you think maybe he should be venting his anger a bit more towards the FAI? Well, uh, I think he should be venting his anger towards his players for not performing to their standards. Um, if he wants, if if he was in the same position, he would do the exact same thing. Exactly. But the problem, the problem is he's not in that position, and I think he's just more annoyed that because. I don't know why he is annoyed though, because Sligo aren't in a position where they can still get a European spot. So what difference does it make to him 
Yeah, I haven't seen the I haven't seen uh, the money tables on the difference yeah. between fifth and sixth. Yeah, un- unless he's unless he's under pressure from the Sligo board to finish in fifth instead of sixth. I mean, I'd imagine I, it's I, not I, near as I, big as a yeah. result against Zenit St. Petersburg. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine that there's so much pressure. Like, oh, if you finish sixth, you're getting sacked. But if you if you finish fifth, it's a good season. I mean, like, what's what's he getting angry about? I mean, <laughs> I I just don't understand it. And uh, just end a quick note. Your Finn Harps are staying up. Are you a happy man? <laughs> I'm a very happy man. I sent a, sent Ollie a, a wee text congratulating him. Uh, <laughs> did he reply? Yeah, he did. He's in good humour for he, maybe the first time this season. Well, it's probably the first time he ever admitted that Finn Harps are actually safe now, uh, because all all season he was he's just every time I asked him a uh, question, oh, no, we're not safe. We're we're not going to rest on our laurels. We we still have to perform. We have to go to the next game, the next game, the next game, and. Finally, they they are finally mathematically safe, and it's, it's, it is a great achievement, to be fair to them. All right, well, we're going to move on now. We're going to go across the water to England. We're going to go to the League Cup. Um, Enda, as a United supporter, Purple Sunday wasn't that great for you. <laughs> How was Purple Thursday? <laughs> um, better than Purple Sunday. And under the ratings by Red Monday? Um, I would say Red Monday was a 2. Purple Sunday was a, a 0. 0.5, <laughs> and... Purple Thursday, I'm gonna go with a three point five. Good result, good result for United. Terrible game again, um, but at the same time, you look at the result, you think one nil United, fantastic result. But if you actually look at it, City had a second rate uh, side out. United had their strongest side out, and they still struggled to beat the Man City side. They do, still only beat them one nil. Do either of you think Mourinho has somewhat redeemed himself after last night? No, no. Well, it's it's hard to say because you know what what was his aim at the start of the season? He wanted to do well in the league. That was his yeah. priority. Like, and he was he was not arsed at all about being in the Europa League mm-hmm. and the cups. He, he said nothing about. You know, um, at this stage, I think he should he should get a domestic cup while he can because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like the league's going to go too well for them overall. I think at this stage, getting to a quarter final. You probably should be taking it a bit more seriously. I mean, yeah. three. I think it's two legs in the semi final, so you're essentially four games away from a potential cup. And for for either Pep or Jose last night, it's probably the easiest road you'd have to getting some silverware under your belt or something to keep the owners off your back or the fans off your back for a while. And the fact as well that the League Cup gets over and done with by you know early March at yeah, the latest, yeah. they can still bomb on for yeah. whatever position they're going for in the league. Yeah, do you know? I think it's actually it's actually amazing. I was thinking about this last night. I used to have a United poster from 2006, I think. And uh, it was the year they won just the League Cup. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. I mean, Louis van Gaal won the FA Cup last year and it was a complete failure. Yeah, Alex Ferguson yeah. went a year and just won the League Cup and it was have, fine. Had you ever seen a man give his FA Cup winning speech and sound so depressed <laughs> and pessimistic? Like he knew he was sacked before. Well, yeah. as a United fan, like... Um, the full year last year, it was just so depressing watching United play football. Like it just was not enjoyable whatsoever. And I came to the stage for the FA Cup, and I was in two minds whether I actually wanted United to win it because I was afraid that if United did win it, they would keep Van Hal on. <laughs> like I was, I was celebrating Jesse Lingard's goal, but then I was like, oh no, like, I can't go another year of Louis Van Hal football. And, uh, and I'm delighted they won that. I was hate, I hate Alan Pardew so much. So <laughs> that just annoying. Can't stand him. Nobody who dances like that can win anything. No. No, you're not allowed. It was coming to him. <laughs> we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to go to Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. Is is Daniel Sturridge back? And how long do you expect him to be back for? 
Until the weekend. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, um, look, he had a good game on Tuesday. You can't take that away from him. And he did what he went out to do. He needed to prove something to the manager. Desperately. Yeah. He he really, really needed to prove himself there. Um, I mean... you. Would you put faith in him in the long term? You see, the problem is, this season we haven't seen him really in what Klopp considers to be his first eleven. You know, yeah. uh, the front three, there's no recognised striker in the front three. You know, you're playing yeah. Firmino up there and when Sturridge comes on, he's been thrown out in the wing, which makes no sense. Um, but I don't know if we can... I don't know if he's going to fit into the to the team long term, no. No. Can't say he will. And you think Klopp will take the cup a hell of a lot more seriously than Mourinho has been reported to? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in Klopp's position uh, currently, I'd nearly. Uh, it was actually Mark Lawrenson said during the week he should take a leaf out of Fergie's book, um, win the league cup if you, if at all you can, hmm. and then you've got three months to try yeah. and potentially win the league I think Fergie in that position the own, yeah I think I don't know sometimes I think Mark Lawrence might talk out of his arse a little bit because Fergie oh, yeah. oh let's Fergie not let's <laughs> not forget that but Fergie did have three years before he started to do anything really and you just don't get three years in this modern game do you not a chance no okay so we're going to move on to the next game Newcastle 6 Preston nil. I am over the moon lads <laughs> Newcastle are the best team in England at the moment we have the highest yeah, score in England verified. We have the best record in England yeah. and we're going to win the cup and are any of you going to dispute me on this? I yeah. haven't seen I haven't <laughs> I, seen Newcastle play this year. So this I was deny. their reserves on against Preston on Tuesday night. It was quite amazing because Dwight Gale was given a rest for the game. Alexander Mitrovic started up front with Diame just behind them. Both players haven't really been seeing much time in the championship at all, and they still they score two goals each, hit them for six. Mick McCarthy at the weekend after being trashed, trashed with Ipswich. <laughs> Basically said he will be absolutely shocked if they don't run away with the league. It's a really good time to be a Newcastle supporter, I suppose. Except finally in the dominating somewhere. And maybe like. not so much Preston because they have to come back to St. James's Park at the weekend and I don't think they're <laughs> going to enjoy that one too much. And was it, was it Preston's first team yeah, on Tuesday night? Well, no, they had a few. They made a few changes as well. Yeah. But I think I just, I see that scoreline. I think they must have played a really strong squad. Then I look at it, they're like, you know, Kieran Clark was rested. The goalkeeper was rested. Matt Sell's got a start. It was, it, it was just an incredible result for a team that, so was supposedly not trying. Yeah. But um, over there we're going to move down to London. We had West Ham two, Chelsea one, and this game wasn't wasn't really about what happened on the field, I suppose, because we had a few plastic bottles, seats, and coins thrown around, and it was, I don't know, as dramatic as football violence as we've seen in England in the past few years. What are your opinions? Have you have well, you had a look at the the images? I I have, but at least in the Olympic Stadium, there's no fear of uh, a player being hit by a corner because that they're that far away from yeah. the football pitch. That it's actually a genius idea to put West Ham in that stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have because you seen? Have any of you seen that? Is it the soccer AM skit yeah, of the West the, Ham yeah. fans <laughs> with the binoculars? Yeah. Uh, like it's just a it's a terrible football stadium, and West like. Obviously, they have the hooligans, whatever, like yeah. out there. But you can, it's undeniable that West Ham have a great support, yeah. and the atmosphere you get at a West Ham game mm. is just not the same as Upton Park. 
in the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, yeah. But basically, the, the Metropolitan Police have said they're still not deploying officers inside the stadium because they made one massive mistake when they were designing it for the Olympics, and that was That's that right. their radio systems don't work. Mm. And until those are sorted out, we could be seeing a lot more of this. I I think, though, in the past couple of years, when London teams are meeting in, in, in the league... The, they're nearly trying to make a derby out of it. Mm. We saw Chelsea and Spurs near the end of last season. Yeah. When did that become a derby? <laughs> when just, was that suddenly a huge clash? From London, let's, yeah. Uh, yeah, London, let's where there's what, like thirty football Again, clubs. That's probably the Sky Sports PR machine trying yeah. to take yeah. up Red Mondays and Purple Sundays. But uh, and uh, Sky Sports last year, you know, the huge coverage of the last game at the bowling mm. ground. You know, what's that's like compensating yeah. for them not having Champions League or what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think last year they or not last year a few years ago they had um, Chelsea and QPR as a derby game. You know the the East London derby. It's like, what? <laughs> when derby, yeah. Q, QPR are getting relegated this year? It's not yeah. a derby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's part like we like we've seen Celtic. This is kind of getting close to it, but kind of a little bit off the cuff. But have you noticed like Premier League matches, especially we heard Bream again talking about Chelsea the other day and how like, you know, there's everybody sitting down and if you stand up, you know, you have stewards come over making sure you sit down. Like it's really hard to sing when you're sitting yeah. down or create any kind of an atmosphere. Yeah. And I know when you watch TV and you see all this violence break out and you hear the commentators going, oh, this isn't really what we want to see. But like, deep down it kind of is, isn't it? We kind of, we kind <laughs> of enjoy respect. seeing at least his passion there and it's not... It's not like, you know, 4-0 up Chelsea on Sunday and Antonio Conte's waving his arms trying to yeah. make the fans sing and actually applaud their team who've done a really good job. Yeah. Well, I don't know how well safe stand there is or would work in England, mainly because of the uh, the violence that does occur in within the hooliganisms in, in England. I mean, like, you get it in Scotland, not to the same extent, though. And with Celtic, uh, there's always... Uh, I think it's six rows of seats mm. Mm. that separate the away side from yeah. the home side so that's why the safe standing area works and in Celtic it's like we're all we're all together whereas in, in England like you could get your own fans fighting amongst each other yeah. like we saw last last year uh, Millwall and the FA Cup there's two two separate groups of Millwall fans fighting each other because Millwall <laughs> were weird. losing and <laughs> I mean it just why? It's just yeah. wouldn't, it just it wouldn't work in England, I don't think. So another thing, according to the police last night, they made 30 arrests outside the stadium, yeah. which is disturbing enough, but they had intercepted a lot of leaflets being handed out. And on these leaflets were um, lyrics, homophobic lyrics aimed at John Terry and Diego Costa. So <laughs> I suppose the question I'm getting at here is, who goes to the effort of even organising this? Like, yeah, this is it. Like... <laughs> I don't know Organized what is it. Homophobia is this a new to footballer? It it might be the the eight percent. Did you did you see that uh, the study? That oh, it, that's right. Yeah, eighty eighty two percent of of fans would happily see players come out as gay, and eight percent said they would stop uh, stop supporting, supporting their, their club if a gay player came out. I mean, I that's know. that's strange enough. I mean, horrifying. I'd love I, to know where they got these interviews from. Like, was it down the like, down the old queue or something? Yeah, or was yeah. it actually? How can you conduct a study like that? Yep. So the uh, the draw was made anyway last night, straight after the United game for the next round of the League Cup. We have Liverpool versus Leeds. Are you happy enough with that, Carl? 
Yeah, I saw this morning Paddy Power have Liverpool down uh, 94 to win it outright. Uh, yeah. Favourites like so. Um, but yeah, I don't know what, what games are going to have around the time, but obviously mm. it, it helps that, you know. You've got the home leg, really. Yeah, we've got the home leg. probably and just as important as getting one of the championship sides. Yeah, and Leeds, you know, they're not they're not going yeah. terribly strong, are they? No, they're not. Well, <laughs> league form anyway, they did well to get through the penalty shootout with Norwich because Norwich yeah. are actually doing quite well in the championship. They've had a bump the last couple of weeks. They lost at the weekend and I think they drew, they only drew the week before, but... Um, mm. Uh, yeah, I think as a Liverpool fan, I'd be feeling pretty confident they'd be in a semi final. Yeah. That, right. that was the 2 2 game, the Leeds, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the attendance was 22,222. Mm-hmm. And uh, the game ended at 22,22. And there was one more that I cannot remember, but it was freaky <laughs> enough. But yeah. It's just one of those things that you'll just see oh, a guy was wearing a number 22. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, bollocks but it was still funny <laughs> so the, the Manchester police are going to be have to have to come out in force anyway because yes. you got West Ham at home and um, I'll take that uh, it's it's a tough enough fixture it's not I would have preferred Leeds to be honest but um, West Ham are one of these teams that the United game plan might actually work against mm-hmm. because they'll, West Ham will attack and will play into Jose Mourinho's hand and we're, they're not the strongest in the air anymore yeah, so um, the next game anyway is Hull City at home to Newcastle United. I have to say, I'd be feeling pretty confident after that one. I'm, a home leg is kind of ideal for Newcastle because even on a League Cup game on a Tuesday night, they still manage to pack 50,000 people inside a stadium, which yeah. is quite an attendance for what is a championship club now. But Hull City are only three points ahead of us in the league, it's in, technically. They're not on great form. They're not they're not really an intimidating place to go away to either so I think as far as Newcastle would be concerned they should be feeling pretty confident they can go into a semi-final which jeez uh, I'll be over the moon with really um, yeah. <laughs> next is Arsenal versus Southampton that's the only other tie obviously Arsenal beat Reading Southampton beat Sunderland can you s- it's Arsenal at home in the Emirates they're doing pretty well at the moment lads in fairness to them yeah and I I was saying on the live action replay last week that um I don't understand why people are surprised at Arsenal's form because um, what did Wenger do this summer? Spent a bit of money. Yeah. Um, he dished out in a centre-back. Yeah. A highly sought-after centre-back at that. Um, and he's found the best in Walcott, which is a huge boost for them because um, they don't have the striking options there still, yeah. really. Uh, once he improves his finishing, he's going to be a huge asset. But when when do you think that can happen? Because I think everybody's been waiting a long, long time for Theo Walcott to Yeah, uh, you know, what age is he now? 26, 27. Yeah. It's, it's high time he, he yeah. showed his finishing quality. And he's another player, I suppose, like Rooney, who came on the scene so early that his legs might, he might not really go into his mid-30s. The yeah. way people, well, especially a pacey yeah. player as well. They generally don't seem to do it. So That's it, yeah. Well, I mean, wasn't, wasn't Rooney a teenager when he went to his first international yeah, well, championship? 16 like, when he came on again for Everton against Arsenal that time and broke yeah. the unbeaten run and he hasn't really stopped from there to be fair to him <laughs> but uh, well yeah. I'll, I'm actually on, on Roy Keane's side when it comes to Theo Walcott I mean he's just gonna he'll, he'll go on this run of form for four weeks and then he'll just disappear Yeah, like, like he always does he always yeah. has a run of form like this and then he just disappears for the rest of the season and people wonder where's Theo Walcott you would be waiting on it wouldn't you after you know his track record really shows that that he could just let them down for a solid five, six games. Yeah. 
maybe continue on that, you know. It's just confidence. Like It's amazing yeah. what confidence can do for a player. Yeah. So we're going to move over to Italy now because we're going to have uh, Forza Italian Football's Connor Clancy on the phone to talk to us through the, the Mario Accardi situation and the latest on that. Have you been following the story, lads? Just before we get on to him, I, I suppose we'll just go through the exact details of what's going on. It's rough enough now. It's rough. Yeah. But at the same time, it, when when do you ever see personal issues like actually take place in, in a football stadium? Like you, you get the Rooney affair and John Terry and... Uh, yeah. So for, for those of you that don't know, basically what happened was Mario Icardi, when he was at Barcelona, he was sharing a room with Maxi Lopez. He somehow ended up with uh, Maxi Lopez's wife, who is now his agent. He has a tattoo of all three of Maxi Lopez's children on him, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and he regularly posts Instagram pictures of Maxi Lopez's children. But um, last February, last February, he recounted details of a confrontation with the Inter Milan ultras, in which he apparently claims he tried to give a shirt to a young child. One of the ultras ripped it away. He details this in the book. He claims that the uh, the rest of the Inter team have. Um, praised him on confronting the ultras and yeah the Inter Milan fans aren't very happy with him at all and completely refuse his claims claim it to be false and they've announced that he's no longer their captain uh, the club have come out and said they're happy enough to stick by Mario Riccardi but I'm going to play you the interview with Connor now and he's just going to go into more detail of exactly what's going on there good to talk to you man it's been a while yeah it's been how's everything with you Ah, not too bad how did you get on anyway on Sunday you must be over the oh, moon. It was really good. It was a really good game. I couldn't believe when they got the last minute penalty. <laughs> when Panea stepped up to take it, I was a bit nervous because he's quite unreliable. But when he put it away, everyone just completely lost it, myself included. <laughs> um, I was over It was good timing. And, um, go on. It was good timing on your part. Oh, definitely. We had to leave straight after the game. Why? And my dad was getting a bit nervous, and he was like, "Oh, can we? Will we go five minutes before the end?" That's absolutely no way because we were going to miss our flight. But um, <laughs> we got out and ran to the train station and made it, so it was good. All right, right. So we'll go in. Obviously, Icardi's been in a lot of controversy late lately. Anyway, um, can you just give us like a quick run through of what kind of character he is? Yeah. Um, well. I don't really know how to do it without swearing, to be honest, but um, he's not the most squeaky clean of characters. Um, I'm sure you've heard the stories about his background with Maxi Lopez and Wanda. Yeah, we were discussing it, all right. Yeah, um, so that kind of gives you a good indication as to what he's like. Uh, I don't really know how much more detail to go into, but I think you've got a pretty clear picture with that and what he said about the Ultras as well. Yeah, and in terms of the match on Sunday, did you notice any hostilities at all coming from the away end? No, I didn't actually, but um, that doesn't really mean there wasn't any. I was in the home curva at the opposite end of the ground, so it's difficult to make out anything that's going on. But there didn't seem to be anything. There was nothing visible anyway. I didn't notice any banners or anything. But um, just in terms of the, in terms of the uh, inter-ultras, Connor, they've... Obviously, they've called for Icardi to be stripped of his captaincy and the club announced that they have no intentions of doing that whatsoever. Where do you think the situation will go from here? Um, you called me at a good time, actually, because just as I was waiting for your call, I saw a news story on La Gazette de la Sport 
and the Inter Ultras have announced that they're going to do a protest tonight. Yeah. Um, it's not really clear what the protest is about. It could be just because they're not doing very well lately. But one of the lines from it quoted are, the perks are over. So that would suggest it's about Icardi and they might not be too happy that the club have ignored their demands to strip him of his captaincy. Um, in terms of Icardi and his future at Inter, his relationship with the Ultras is gone. There is there is no going back for him, to be honest. Um, the, what was I going to say? Would, yeah. he, would he have had a strong relationship with him before the book? I don't really know. He was made captain and it was a, a strange decision to make him captain and people didn't really like that decision because they went from having Javier Zanetti, for example, yeah. as captain to this little, young, annoying person who is going to cause controversy and he's not 100% committed to Inter. His, his agent is his wife. <laughs> so we know they've a bit of a patchy past and she's kind of... she's. Not a football agent. She doesn't really know what she's doing. She tried to negotiate with the club in the summer and then started saying that she was going to bring him to Arsenal or something. Napoli were interested. Um, I don't know. So, um, yeah, just regarding his agent, it's a bit of a strange situation. Can you go into a bit of a background about who she is and how she came into this position? <sighs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, she is... Her name is Wanda... Nara, now Icardi. She yeah. used to be Maxi Lopez's wife. Um, she had, I think, three kids with Lopez. Then when Icardi moved to Italy, he was living with Maxi Lopez because they were two Argentine players. And I think they knew each other from their time at Barcelona. And while he was living with Lopez, he and Wanda got together. Um, Lopez and Wanda split Icardi post photos of the kids with his name on their jerseys he got their names tattooed on his wrist um, it's a really distasteful situation Wanda Nara has always come out and posted photos of the kids in Icardi shirts and just to stir the pot more with Maxi Lopez and they're both Icardi and Wanda Nara I think are very well suited for one another and you can take from that what you will <laughs> and in terms of the the conflict with the Ultras, we've kind of already chatted about the, the book beforehand, but how forgiving can could you expect the Ultras to be? Like, can his on-field performance fix the situation in any way? No. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I can't see them being forgiving at all. They showed up at his house saying that they were ready for his Argentine friends, which <laughs> I'm sure you are familiar with that reference. Uh, he didn't come they out of his house, no. Shit. Sorry? He didn't come out of his house, did he? <laughs> no, his friends weren't there to back him up. Um, they called him a piece of shit and they told him he was done. His relationship with the curve is gone. Um, there's no coming back from it. He apologised and they basically told him they weren't having any of it. So, no, there's no way back for his relationship with the Ultras. It is important to kind of point out, though, that the Inter fans don't all share the same views as the Ultras. They're just the most outspoken and it's easy to misinterpret that as being the opinion shared by every Inter fan. So what? It seems to be more of a 50-50 split. Yeah. Um, the the game after the book release, when he missed the penalty, the curve was celebrated and we're delighted to see him miss. But a lot of the fans reacted as you would expect. 
fans supporting their team too. They applauded him, they cheered for him, and the Inter fans are very divided on this. It's not as cut and dry as every Inter fan wants rid of him. It's mainly the curva. Yeah, but obviously Italy's kind of had its notorious situations in the past with ultras kind of clashing, and we seen a few years ago, obviously in the Coppa Italia final between Napoli and Fiorentina in Rome, when Hamisk was forced to meet with the head of the ultras, who ultimately seemed to decide whether the final was going to go ahead or not. What does this say about Italian football in general? Yeah, there's, there are definitely problems in Italian football with the ultras, but the cup final thing was a little bit different, I think. Um, from memory, uh, a Napoli fan had been killed in Rome by a Roma supporter before the game. Uh, my memory's a bit hazy on this, but I think at the time some of the Napoli fans thought it was the police who were responsible. So yeah. the game was held up basically because they were remonstrating with the security and throwing things at them because they thought they were responsible for the death of the, the ultra. Uh, there's definitely problems, but like they can't be resolved easily. I mm-hmm. don't necessarily think the FIGC want to solve them that much. Uh, the ultras are great at times, but they do often overstep their boundaries and as you see in the cup final, for example, they do cause problems. They um, do things that they shouldn't and get away with it. But to be honest, but they seem I'm to... glad it's not me responsible for correcting the problems yeah. because I don't know where to begin. But they seem to actually have the ability to call the shots as well. It's it's not like they're just kicking up a fuss and being ignored. They actually have a certain degree of control. Oh, definitely. And um, if this protest goes all out tonight, I would be surprised if action isn't taken either whether it's going to be against Icardi or Frank de Boer, have, I'd be surprised if both were still in their same roles two weeks from now. And have the Italian FA done anything at all to try to resolve these type of situations, or is it just seen as part of the footballing landscape? Pretty much. They've not really done anything, but that's not really that surprising. Roma and Lazio had their curve split by fences, but I don't think that was the FIGC. I think that was the police in Rome who did that. Um, the ultras weren't happy about it at all. And this kind of shows what happens when they are attempted to be policed. Both sets of fans protested last year and they simply just didn't go to games. And it, it looks like it's been a, an effective protest. Francesco Totti and Alessandro Florenzi this week came out and called for the fences to be taken down. Strangely enough, the video was posted by Roma's official social networks. So that shows the club are very much on the side of giving the ultras what they want as well. Um, I would be very surprised if they're not taken down and everything isn't just back to normal soon enough. So you think there'll be a U-turn on all of these, but do you think anything can actually be done to to combat this this kind of culture? I I really don't know. They have introduced stricter security in the last few years, so everybody needs ID to go to a game. And as a foreign person, it can be quite annoying trying to get in with your passport. I can't count the amount of times I've nearly lost my passport going to games. And do you get do you get questioned disaster. a lot on entry? Uh, yeah, you go through usually three layers of security. Yeah. Um, so you get your passport and ticket checked. Then you go through and scan your ticket. Then you go through and you get searched again. Um, so, but most of the ultras have connections in the club. Like yeah, I was just about example, to ask if there's so much security. How do these ultras get in? Yeah, well, for example, at Atalanta, it's quite funny. I think a lot of the security 
are friends with the ultras, so uh, they allow them in early and they can just hide shit in the bathroom, hide stuff in the bathrooms, and they're kind of just let do what they want because if they're not found with stuff on the day, they let them through, but they've already been in, say, the previous night to hide their and stuff again, in the bathroom. And again, we don't see the Italian FA reacting to this in any way. No, absolutely not, and I wouldn't expect them to. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And then just on a final note, we're going to just take it over to England for my last question, Connor. Um, we saw Chelsea beat Manchester United 4-0 on Sunday. Obviously, you're a bit of a Chelsea supporter yourself, but uh, Paul Pogba had been the subject of criticism in recent games and someone who's probably followed him through his golden years in Syria. Why do you think he's not doing as well in England as he was in Italy? Um, his slow start honestly doesn't surprise me that much. I was quite vocal on Twitter during the summer saying that I didn't think he would do much this year. Um, this season is probably going to continue to be a struggle, but trust me, he's going to come good. And everyone that's been slagging him off lately is going to be made to eat their words. He's, <laughs> he's too good not to. At his best, he just makes everything look so easy. I've long said that he's a future Ballon d'Or winner, and I, I stand by that. I might have he's, to hold you to that one, yeah. <laughs> he, Mourinho's just not using him in the right system. Yeah. I know it's an easy excuse to go to, but he's been played in the the holding two of a four two three one, and that's just not what he does. He's a player who likes to get up and down. He operates best on the side of a three in a yeah. three man midfield. Uh, not quite wide enough to be a winger, but not exactly central. He he gets up and down the pitch, goes from box to box, and that's what brings out the best in him. We haven't seen it at all this year. Yeah. Um, maybe against Leicester is probably the best example of what he can do. He had a bit more freedom to move around, and he was amazing. He had the freedom to move. I think people just need to give him a little more time. I honestly think in five, six years, he will have proven his worth in next time. <laughs> well, I just think, judge him this time next year, and if he's not amazing, then come back to me, I think. All right, brilliant. I'll have to uh, I'll have to give you a call in five or six years' time again when he does win, <laughs> pick up the Ballon d'Or. Listen, I'm looking Con- forward to it. <laughs> Listen, Connor, thanks a million. It was great to have you on. You can follow Connor at, at Connor Calcio on Twitter. You can read his stuff on ForzaItalianFootball.com, ExtraTime.e, or listen to him on the Final Third podcast, uh, which is available on SoundCloud. Thanks again, Connor. It was great to have you on. No worries, Gav. Nice talking right, to you again. Cheers. I'll talk to you later. Good luck. See you later. Bye bye. All right, so since we recorded that interview yesterday, Inter played Maxi Lopez's 3-0 last night, and of course, Icardi scored two goals. He cupped his ears to the crowd in the 88 minutes uh, while the cameras were ready to see Nara cheering him on in the stand. Uh, the Ultras were protesting at it, but it seemed that the majority of Inter fans went home happy. Lads, of course, this wasn't the English media's coverage of it. It was all about Joe Hart. He made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Poor horrendous mistake, in fairness. It was a horrendous goal to give away. Um, not taking away from the absolute belter Riccardi scored the winner uh, was just it was a it was a pretty good finish yeah but um, as far as Connor's concerned anyway it doesn't really matter how far McCar- like Riccardi's performance is going to go on the pitch they're never going to forgive him but uh, no. just on our final note before we call it a day what do you make of his Paul Pogba call future Ballon d'Or winner no I agree. I, I agree. I'm completely about the using them in the wrong system. The slow start. Uh, and another thing that you have to th- take into account is the pace in the Premier League compared to Italy. I uh, did he's, actually. He's, he's not yeah. getting as, as much time on the ball. I uh, I did actually backtrack his Twitter a bit, and it is pretty much gone along the lines we predicted. He said he wouldn't do anything this season. Do you feel good about that, Ender? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> putting you at ease. Eight and nine million. You expect him to do. There's a lot of expectation on him, and like I mean, you can't just expect him to go into a different team, a different city, different country, and then just automatically do it. <laughs> but with it, eight and nine million in line, you kind of do. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, gentlemen. That's all we got time for. Coming up next is Billy Keenan and Jack O'Toole with the rugby. <laughs>